out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 156th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime from the east coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate all you listeners tuning in from all around the world here. Over this past week, we recently celebrated our third year anniversary. That's right. It's been three years since we first put out our first episode, which was a dedication to the late, great Edward Van Halen, not too long after he had passed away. And things have changed. Yeah, we've grown the show quite a bit. I was living in London at the time, talking to Jackson via Zoom, just to check in on him during the pandemic. And then we decided, well, we need to give each other homework assignments on albums we haven't listened to in a long time. And then we would get together next week and talk about them. Suddenly we realized we've got a show. We've got a lot of material and a lot of opinions that the world just needs to hear. And now, what, 155 plus episodes later, plus a sidecast, first concert memories that we do once a month. All sorts of fantastic guests from around the world, including artists, musicians, podcasters, authors, and big rock and roll fans. It's been so much fun to grow the show, and we appreciate all your help. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we are big fans of the 80s pop pro group Asia, composed of John Wetton, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs, and Carl Palmer. And two of those folks we've had on the show, Jeff Downs and Carl Palmer, shows 79 and 80. And one day we will probably get Steve Howe on this show one way or the other. But we regret that we never had the opportunity to speak with John Wetton. And this year they've been doing a lot to celebrate the life of John Wetton. And a great book come out called An Extraordinary Life, where there are chapters written by some of his friends and all the people who he'd worked with over the years to kind of tell stories about John and the kind of man that he was. And in the summer, there was a big concert at Trading Boundaries run by Roger Dean to celebrate the life of John Wetton and his music. And now, coming out on November 24th, An Extraordinary Life, the box set, is coming out. It's John Wetton's solo work from 1980 through the time that he died, six solo albums that he made, plus bonus tracks for all those albums that maybe have been B-sides or were held back for one reason or another, and two discs of new, never-before-released material, some of it live, some of it studio, sometimes with great collaborators who you will know by name. And of course, this has us very excited. And to help publicize this, to get everybody excited about it, we're going to talk with somebody who he did work with for a bit and befriended and got to know very well in the 2008 to 2011 era. And that's Oliver Wakeman. Of course, that name may be familiar to a lot of you. Yes, his father, Rick Wakeman, is the legendary keyboardist, piano player who was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Yes!, But, you know, Oliver has carved out quite a career for himself as well, and he toured with Yes for a while. In fact, I saw him play with Yes in 2011, and it was during his time with Yes that Asia was opening for Yes. Asia and Yes have had the same management company since the dawn of time, and obviously they've had some of the same members. And while Steve Howe was doing double duty in both Asia and Yes... For a brief time there, Oliver Wakeman was the keyboard player. And so we wanted to talk to him about what it was like working with John and getting to know John. And I think you'll find Oliver to be an open book and a a warm person, someone with a good sense of humor about things. And he's about our age. So he saw these guys as heroes, but then got to know them as a co-worker, as a peer, if you will. 
And he tells great stories about how John never made him feel less than. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Rick's kid. And I used to work with Rick, whatever. No, John made it a point to go talk to Oliver and befriend him and point him in the right direction when it came to his career and creating his music. And you can hear from these stories that Oliver's going to tell that it really meant a lot to him. And we really had a good time talking with Oliver and exploring the music that we like. There's only about 40 minutes with him or so on the show. But he gave us an hour and a half. We just chatted for the longest time, just talking about music, what we like, when we're going to have him back on the show to talk about other things, all sorts of fun stuff. So I really think you'll enjoy this show, not only in getting to know Oliver, but getting to know his relationship with John Wetton and what John Wetton meant to him in helping him on his career. Now, first, we have a little bit of business. As usual, we like to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows on all sorts of genres of music. There really is something in there for everyone. You can visit PantheonPodcast.com or follow them anywhere at Pantheon Pods. And we have to talk about our sponsor, guys. RareVinyl.com, based in the UK, has over a quarter million items in stock. Well, It's holiday season, right? You've got to get something special for that special person in your life. But if you're like me, I know that if you want something, you need to get it for yourself. And then you can give it to your partner or to your children and say, here you go, dear. Wrap this up and say it's from you to daddy. That's what I do. And that's how I ensure I get something that I want. So go to rarevinyl.com right now. Find something that you love, whether it's a first edition album, whether it's a CD, maybe it's a tour program, maybe it's point of sale item from a record store, a poster, whatever. Go to rarevinyl.com and use code UGLY and save yourself 10%. Now, that's a one-time code, so don't just go buy one record there. Do all your holiday shopping. Get everything for everyone there in one big order and then save yourself a big, fat 10% at rarevinyl.com using the code UGLY. Now, back to Oliver. I was fortunate enough to see him play in Yes. It was the Rights of Spring Tour in 2011. He had been with the band for a couple of years, and it was intended to be his last little stint with Yes before Jeff Downs came back into the fray. But as we'll hear on this show, there was actually a point where they kind of extended his time in the band, and Jeff was around too. And Mr. John Wetton made it a point to make sure that Oliver was comfortable and doing well during that time. It's a great story, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. So without further ado, I want you to welcome with me, Oliver Wakeman, as we're talking about the life, music, and character of John Wetton here on The Wolf. I mean, this this does happen to me on occasion, but the more that I did research and the more that I thought about and learned about Oliver and, and you know, read and saw you know, his time with John and what it meant to him and read more of an Extraordinary Life book, the more excited I've become for this time that we have with him. It's usually we're talking to an artist about their work or at least their work with someone. And technically, you know, they didn't really record together at all and and just uh, and just played together very a little bit, but because they were friends, I think that's yeah, that's the big thing is they he truly thought of him as a friend. Yeah, uh, that's I say really hey. cool. But so I mean, it has been a regret, a bummer that we never had the chance to interview or speak with John Wetton. It's it's never going to mm. come right. Right. So, but we've talked to Carl Palmer. We've talked to Jeff Downs. Mm-hmm. We still have an opportunity at some point in the future to maybe talk to Steve Howe. But it's been great to have people on like Amanda Lehman who would tell Mm. us 
what he was like, or Jim Cregan, you know, who played at the Extraordinary Life show at Trading Boundaries, you know, talk about the kind of guy that he was. And so to have Oliver on, who didn't know him in his crazier days, Mm -hmm. knew him once he had kind of cleaned up his act and was on the straight and narrow and and trying to do his best. I think that would, this is going to be a little more interesting because you don't have to talk about that arc, you know, when he went, oh, he kind of really hit some bad times. Yeah, yeah, hit the skids for a while. And I mean, yeah, because how many of those stories are, but he never made it back. Luckily, John did come back. He, He got himself cleaned up. He could go on with his career, but yeah, to, to see him during that must have been pretty rough for his the friends at that point in time. And I am pretty upset at the two of us that Asia and Yes toured together for more than a couple of years, and we never caught that. Yeah, kind of crazy. No excuse for that. I just, I have, mean, I'll just, I'll just take my beating on that. There's no excuse for it. I know, I know. I, I did manage to see Asia. When they first got back together, it was it 2006, I guess it was, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a record contract yet. They were just going to like, hey, we're going to tour in celebration of our 25th anniversary, maybe do enough business. Someone said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll give you a record contract kind of thing, and it was great, and then I don't know, I was busy trying to move to Australia and trying to move back and trying to get married and stuff like that, and Asia Although I would buy their albums, they kind of faded off my, their, my radar. And if they mm. didn't come to my town, I wasn't going to chase them, you know? Well, okay, so there's your there's your problem then. You always think, oh, I'll see them next time. Or, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll come closer next time and I'll do it then because stuff comes up and then there is no next time. And there is no next time. And then yeah. that's where the regrets come from. So that's why you have to take advantage of your opportunities when you have them. But no, I, I'm glad Just I didn't get to see them. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got to see the original band once. I was going to say, I've seen video clips and audio clips of him kind of at the end of, of his performing days. And mm-hmm. to me, I don't, it doesn't sound like he ever really lost anything. He, he never lost Yeah, he always any of he could always belt it out. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's kind of crazy. But I mean, yeah, you listen to those Latter-day Asia albums. And they don't have the exact same production value. It's not done with the same kind of tools anymore. But yeah. his voice is still the same. It's it's amazing. It's it's a real tribute to him. And it just shows you what a shame it was that, mm-hmm. that we lost him. But this box set is pretty exciting. Up until that comes out, this right here that I'm showing you, Jackson, that the viewers at home should know that I'm holding up a two CD set called Anthology, which is a collection of all of John's best songs from his six solo albums, which is a pretty good way to get introduced to his solo material. Hi, this is Jim Cregan, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London, and they're just the best. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind 
and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Hello. Hello, Oliver. Welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. And obviously, we could talk to you about a great many things in, in your career and the music you've made. But we're really here today to talk about someone who meant a lot to the two of us, and that's John Wetton. We became big Asia fans. We were fans as young kids when he came on MTV in the early yep. 80s. But then when we got into college, we kind of started to hear more of it together. Like, well, wow, these guys are really good. We've got to hear more of this, you know, and I... I uh, read the excerpt from you in this wonderful book, An Extraordinary Life, talking about how you yep. came to Asia's music when you were about 16. It was actually because we're all about the same age. Jackson's about to turn 51 here next month, and I'm a few months yeah. after him. So you you didn't come to them when they first came out, but you came to them about the same age that we were kind of starting to, to get into them. What was that like? I mean, it was like... What was I missing all this time? I was about 18, I think, which would have put it about 1990 for me when mm -hmm. I, I first discovered them. And it was a friend of mine who ended up being my keyboard tech on all my Yes tours um, introduced me to them. He, he sort of said, oh, you, you, you know, you've got to listen to this. And um, there was the rumor years ago that Asia originally started off with Trevor Rabin and dad were approached to do this sort of supergroup type right. thing and, and how it evolved into... Asia, and then you hear the story that yes, split up after drama, and Steve and Jeff just walked out of one meeting room and out into another one, and then <laughs> right. formed Asia with the same management. So there's there's all these sort of political history stories around yes, which are which are tremendously exciting and yes. interesting. How much of it is true? I've got no idea at all. I just <laughs> like the record. Blame me the record. I always love Roger Dean's artwork. Oh, um, yes. uh, in fact, I, I, I it's going to sound dreadful. Such a fan. I've got the Asia artwork framed on my wall up here for the first album up there. It's it's um they're signed by a lot of them and I have a, a couple of you got it as well. Do that's you mean that one. one? Yeah. That's <laughs> the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just it's such an iconic piece of artwork. Yeah, I I loved it. And I loved I love the record. There's something about the way John he, I, I say I say this a lot. One of the big influences that John had on me in my life was his ability to write a verse. Mm. And that's probably not something a lot of people say. But 
I mean, you remember what it was like in the in the nineties. There was that sort of view in life that you you don't bore us, get us to the chorus was the phrase in England, right. which was literally you know <laughs> it's only the chorus that matters. And John didn't do that. You know, he made every verse so melodic that when the chorus finished, you couldn't wait to hear the verse again because it was just like another piece of musical wonder, as opposed to a lot of bands and a lot of songs that you'll listen to and you just sort of go, yeah, they just sort of come up with something for the verse here just so they right. can get to their catchy chorus. And that always stayed with me when I was writing songs, and I still do to this day, is that I always think, would John think that was good enough? And it's like a little yardstick that wow. I hold up to myself and go, and and that's not just me waxing lyrical and coming up with a nice little sound bite. It's I'm, I'm about to release a new record next year, and I got right to the end of the record and finished it and had it mixed and it was about to be bastard. And I listened to it, and there was one track which I really liked, and I listened to it, and I went, the verses aren't right. I said, the verses aren't right. And really? I turned up my management company and I said, yeah, I said, I've got to go back in and get the singer to, I've got to re rewrite it. I have to go back and rewrite it. She went, you're nuts. You can't, <laughs> it's finished. And I said, no, it's, it's not right. It's not, it doesn't work for me now. It doesn't work. Now all the other stuff's around it. It's not strong enough. And in my head, it was like, it's John, it's not John enough. So I had to go back and that's not so I wrote it to sound like John, but it, it was that principle of it's not, it doesn't have that seal that it's 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 all great. So I had to go back and go back to the singer, and I said to her, "I'm ever so sorry. You did a terrific <laughs> job, but I need you to sing it again." And she went, "Well, did I not sing it right?" She said, and I said, "No, you sang what I sent you perfectly well. I just didn't write the melody right. So you've got to do it again, please." Wow. So um, that's always been something that stuck me. I was going to say you. So you hear John in your head just saying. You can do better than that. Come on. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's like a little, little yard. <laughs> I have it from a lot of different musicians that I've admired. I mean, obviously, when dad plays, I whenever I do a keyboard solo, I have to think to myself, is that up to the standard of what people are going to expect yes. me to play? Is it the same old licks? You know, you've got to come up with something different. But John, he just had that ability. I, mean, it's, I saw somebody the other day and they were sort of saying his voice is like velvet. And it is. It just, it is. He's got a velvet voice. And it just was was beautiful. So that's what that was my introduction to Asia was that first album, and then I got the second album and and really enjoyed that. And then um, this is this is a really dark story, but I went to America when I was about sixteen, seventeen with my with my dad on the ABWH tour. Oh, okay, so it might have been so it might actually probably about sixteen when I got the Asia album. I'm not eighteen, sixteen. Mm. So it was about the same time that I got the first two albums, and I was over in America. And ABWH had to do a record signing in in a, in a record store somewhere. I think it was Texas. And the owner of the record store took me to one side. I was there with my brother. And he said, if you want to grab a couple of albums, go and help yourself to a couple of albums and I'll, I'll get them for you. And I was like 16, you know, like kid in a sweet shop. You oh, know, yeah. <laughs> walk around my record store and pick up a couple of records. And and over over there, your CDs were in the tool packages, whereas in England, we just That's got right. the, the, the boxes. So it's like extra big artwork and stuff. Yeah. And I remember, I think everyone was expecting me to go and buy, you know, a record by Dad or by John or or something. And I walked over and and there was the Asia Astra with the the purple cover with the the the, ro the robot. And woman, I saw yes. that and I said, I, I thought I'll have that one, please. <laughs> they were like, that's not really the record we were expecting you to buy whilst <laughs> on an ABWH tour. <laughs> it's like, no, I'll have that one, please. Yeah, good and for I you. still, so, yeah, still got it. 
Are you talking about the one that the cardboard? Uh, the long yeah, packaging. Yeah, cardboard. Right. So what would yeah, you do yeah. with that packaging? What did I do with it? I think mm -hmm. I Scott got very frustrated because it wouldn't fit in with all my other CDs. So I just put it in front so it was always visible. Okay. Okay. Because what we used to do was take the because the CD would come out. So then you took the cardboard, yeah. cut it up, and made a little poster of it and put that up on the wall. So you got... Oh, double the bang for the yeah that's right yeah i wasn't that bright when i was a kid I'm well you know i wasn't either i just had <laughs> aptitude for things like that well you mentioned uh anderson bruford wakeman and how in getting ready for this just pouring through twitter right now doing some stuff before we came on i saw this photo i don't know if that comes through with yeah the guys. i can see that that was the brother of mine video wasn't it yeah with the with the makeup on <laughs> yeah and Bill looks how amazing in his. Yeah, like how how, how did ever... they convince Steve how to do that? You know, <laughs> I, I, I've no idea. I've known Steve for many many years. I, I would never ever dream to go to Steve and say, "Hey, can I paint your face?" I can't see that. <laughs> exactly. Oh <ever> <laughs> uh, man. Well, of course, yeah. Steve was pulling double duty when you were with Yes and and getting to know John in that kind of two thousand eight and nine and ten period. Yeah. He would it, play with Asia and then come off and then. You and Yes would come on. And I actually got yeah. to see you play on the Rights of Spring tour in, in 2011 there. I was really happy. 2011, about yeah, Rights of Spring, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, the last, that was the last U.S. tour I did with them. But the, um, the John tour with Asia, was it was two times we did it, actually. We did it in um, 2009. We did a big tour. In fact, it's one of my cherished posters in my – I've got a little music writing room at the back of the garage. And in there, I've got uh, two posters, which are my, my – favorite place i've got the in the present one which i did for the first tour i did with um chris stephen allen okay. and the other one is the blue asia poster yes and asia poster which i have and i got it signed by all of us in yes and and everybody in in asia and it's it becomes more poignant every passing year as obviously since john has passed and chris has passed and now alan's passed right it, it it becomes even more special each year and it just doesn't it doesn't come off the wall but um when i got asked to do that tour in 2009 I remember I'd had a really, really long, delayed, difficult flight. I think it was one of those ones where you're, you're getting up at three in the morning to to travel for two hours to get to an airport, and they write to you and say your plane's been cancelled and you've got to get uh. on a different plane. And I, by the time I finally arrived in America, I was thoroughly hacked off. I'm sure. And I got to the airport and the taxi didn't turn up and they had to try and find somebody else to take us. And I remember getting to the hotel and being really, really not in a good mood. <laughs> and then I sort of walked out through the reception out towards the hotel room. And I just remember seeing John sitting in an inflatable armchair in the middle of the swimming pool. <laughs> and he just sort of went, hey, when you're unpacked, come out and have a chat. And it was like, sort of, <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. You know, he just took all the, he just looked so happy. <laughs> I was so miserable. That's great. It was just yeah. like my first, first proper meeting. But then we um we spent a lot of time on the tour because I didn't drink. John didn't drink then. That was past his drinking days. Yes. And he was... um. He was always up early and I was always uh, always up early. And so we'd often have breakfast together. You know, we'd find ourselves bumping into each other at breakfast time. And eventually, because we're on the road for, what, five, six weeks together, sure. it just became a, a common occurrence. And we, we had a, a friend that used to fly us to some of the shows and we'd always end up sitting next to each other on the on the plane. And he'd give me lots of career advice and little tips for, for how to do things. And um, bearing in mind, he was on a plane full of full of his I say his peers, you know, of his 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 era, you know, oh, Chris sure. Allen, mm -hmm. his manager was on there, Jeff was on there, and he spent time with me, somebody that he was just getting to know, and and it was lovely, and I sort of remember thinking to myself, God, he's got all his mates here, and he's 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 chatting to me, and and I I sort of was really 
chuffed by that. And um, when he when he passed, I was talking to the management company that I'm with, which is also John's management, and he sort of said, you know, they always said, you know, he had he really enjoyed spending time with you, and it was it was really nice to to, to hear that, you know, many years later. Sure. Um, because he was like a, you know, sitting on an airplane with a bunch of my idols. I mean, how bad does it get? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. No, it truly is. So he he must have seen something in you that it, maybe something of himself in you or something where you kind of instantly bonded or had things to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was actually. I think it was just I. Do you know? It's, it's, I suppose it's just that thing of making friends. Mm -hmm. You know, when you sort of you meet somebody and you sort of say hello and you chat a little bit, and then the next time you chat a bit and you find you're talking about the different different things to the same, and they have a similar viewpoint on things. And I can't. Sit, sit here and say i can remember every conversation we have i just know that we had lots of them and just you know often sat down i'd walk into breakfast and he'd go hey join me over here and we'd just sit and chat and talk about stuff and talk about music and and the show and it's really difficult for me because i was on these these tours and i remember i remember sitting on a plane once next to chris i got a seat next to chris on a on a journey on the very first tour and i spent the whole time asking you questions <laughs> about <laughs> 90125 and big generator and of stuff. Of course, yeah. And we got to the end of the flight and he said, Do you ever stop talking? And it was like <laughs> I sort of realized because I sort of sat next to somebody I'd admired for years. And you know, I had all these questions that normally as a fan you'd never get to know or find out. Yeah. And so I sort of sat there. So I'd sort of when I got to meet John, it was like I don't want to question him to to death <laughs> over all my, my questions about it, about the band. But it was it was a great fun tour. And then in 2011, the Rights of Spring tour that you mentioned, that was going to be my last tour with the band. Uh, and then I got a phone call from the management saying the record that they're going to put out with Jeff has been delayed, but we're going to do a small tour of Mexico with Asia. Would you like to, would you come and do that tour? And oh, I said, wow. yeah, yeah, great. So I thought I'd finished with Yes. And then suddenly I ended up having another two or three shows out with Asia again. And um, I mean, the, the history around me leaving Yes was around Trevor Horn coming on board and wanting to uh, on fly work here. with Jeff Downs again. Yeah. And so I, I sort of, in the nicest sense, ended up not being there anymore. <laughs> and and when I turned up in Mexico, I remember, and bearing in mind, John's there with Jeff and <laughs> Asia's management and Yes, and Jeff's taking over from me in like three weeks' time on the next tour. Okay. And John's there with Jeff, who plays with him every night, and they've just written an album together. And he just walked straight over, took me to one side, and he said, "Are you okay? If you want someone to talk to, come and come and see me." You know, he was, and I thought that thought that was such a nice thing for him to do. He didn't sort of shrug around or shirk around the fact that something had happened that was uncomfortable to me, and I was there feeling. Like, and the first thing he did was just come over and check to see if I was okay. And I that was always just such a great measure of the man for me. That's always stuck with me. But since that happened, it was such an amazing thing that he did there. That's a top man. And that's a real friend right there, Oliver. I mean, he's not just like, yeah. let me check on you. He's like, I want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. And especially yeah. a situation where he was friends with both you and Jeff. So that had to be a little yeah. bit of a strange situation for him. But yeah, that that definitely sounds like somebody yeah. who is who is just a yeah. like and you Jeff, said, man, you know, top, yeah. And top Jeff, man. Jeff was his you know, Jeff was his friend for many years and yeah. his his writing partner. So he, you know, if he had to feel allegiance somewhere, he didn't have to do it to me, but he he did and he didn't care. Mm -hmm. He was like, you know, said it's not not right what's happened. Check to make sure you're all right. And I, I just thought that was great. So yeah, so I always have a soft spot for for him for that. Yeah. And then obviously I left Jeff. Now I didn't see him again for a kept in touch, but then I didn't I saw him again a couple of years later, which was um when I played with Gordon Giltrap and we did a show where he came along, which was good fun. Right, good. So that was um 
that was quite fun actually that was a, a tour with gordon giltrap i started working with gordon giltrap i don't know how well gordon is known over in america but he's um very well known in the uk as being a wonderful acoustic guitarist and we we did an album together which was an album of acoustic songs and rock songs which we termed ravens and lullabies ravens being rock songs and the acoustic songs being the lullabies and we toured the lullabies basically because we could go out as a duo ah. and what happened was is we then put the full band together to go and do the ravens part of the tour and i one of the shows we were doing was down in in pool a, a club that's not around anymore called mr kipps where close to where john lived so i wrote to him and said look i'm, I'm down your way tomorrow or day after tomorrow do you you know, do you want to meet up for a coffee? It's been ages since we caught up. Let's, you know, if, if you're around, we'll we'll meet up for a coffee and a chat. Wonderful. After sound check, and he said, he said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. He said, I'll sing with you if you want. And it was like, really? Yes, I, I said, please. Yeah, a genu- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a genuine offer. And he said, yeah, yeah. What, what should we do? Just do heat at the moment. And I sort of had to go back to the band that night after sound check. Uh, you know, sound check and say we're doing another sound check. And they said, why? I said, well, John Wetton's joining us tomorrow night for for heat at the moment. And they were all like, brilliant. So we all sort of <laughs> sat down and, and learned it. And um, yeah, turned up to do the show. And it was a great afternoon. You know, the band were buzzing because John was up there, and he just it was just remarkable he just turned up walked up on stage belted out heat of the moment beautifully yes and then came and did the same thing for the show in the evening and it was just it was just one of those moments you know and it was a real bucket list for me because that was one of the things that i'd always wanted to do was record or perform with john sure and and i sort of that really sort of ticked the box for me because unfortunately i never did get to write with john and that's one of the things about the box set that's so wonderful is and slightly heart-wrenching is that you see so many people that he worked with you sort of in your head as an asia fan you think of it as just him and jeff and they were writing partnership but he wrote with so many wonderful musicians a lot of a lot of who i know sure and sort of slightly jealous that i'm not one of them which is a bit of a a bit of a pity but i i did get the live performance so that was a that was a winner yes good for you on that yes we were remarking how until this beautiful box set is coming out the closest you could get is this two disc anthology of john's which is yeah. kind of a, the, the best of all of his solo albums but now you get so many great unreleased tracks and two discs worth of uh, never before heard stuff so it's got the whole yeah Prague and Asia world abuzz, desperately awaiting it. No yep. doubt about it. I love the I love the box set. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so beautifully done. Well, we've seen the prints of it. I can't wait to get my hands on it. <laughs> oh right. Well, there's what the one thing that amazed me about it was I was listening to it, and obviously I knew the Asia stuff of John's, but I didn't know his solo work as well. And there was the one record I knew, which was Rock of Rock of Faith, which was um, the one that he did in Thin Ice Studios with Clive Nolan and and, and Carl Groom, and they are two people that I've worked with a lot. Clive and I have worked a lot on a couple of records and Carl mixes every single one of my records. Uh, I think pretty much every single thing in my discography, Carl has mixed. And so I knew that was going to be a, a quality record. And I remember them telling me at the time they were really excited. We've got John Wetton coming in and we're doing the album with John and they had a great time doing it. And I always sort of think, okay, so when I got the box set and I listened to it, I sort of listened to that record first because I sort of knew it. Sure. And I remember listening to it. And I remember listening to the song right at the end as Cold Comfort was the last the last track. Just all 
And then I was listening to the Welcome, I think it's the Welcome to Heaven album, and there's a there's a track at the end called Love Is. And I was listening to those, and I sort of thought, oh, Cold Comfort and Love Is. What? Both amazing, brilliant tracks. And then when I was reading the booklets, it's like they're the bonus tracks. And you just sort of go, <laughs> John, that's not fair. You, can, <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't have songs that good that are just your bonus tracks. That just seems, he was, he was so good at songwriting and so good with the melody that even the, the offshoot tracks were just amazing. And um, it must have been a nightmare trying to produce one of his records when you've actually got to try and choose the 11 tracks or so to fit on a record. And Where's going to be the B-side? Because these are all A-sides, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so much, so much good stuff. And that's, in fact, that's the thing that really sort of hit me more on the record was even the amount of different people he wrote with, it still sounded like John. Nothing, you know, you know, when sometimes you work with somebody or you've got two artists together and you can't hear one of them because the other one's domineering. Sure. With John, it wasn't it wasn't that. He's he just you can even listen to it. You can sort of hear stuff that maybe somebody else had written, the chorus that someone else had written, but he still made it his own. He was just just super talented like that. It just you know i mean that's what nice thing about the box set is just there's not a duff track on it you just listen to it record after record and you just sort of go this is how does he do this <laughs> it's quite remarkable and it's always been like that right i mean how are right easy and lying to yourself b-sides like th- these fit right onto asia and alpha perfectly like yeah you know th- these could be released as singles why would you hold these as b-sides just put them on the album but like you say you've got yeah a- an embarrassment of riches with john yeah you just reminded me but there was another b-side wasn't there from one of the asia records so was it right on just daylight Daylight, daylight. What track am I thinking? I'm thinking. I'm, do you know? I've done my research on the Asia B sides for this. Sorry, I'm a bit, I'm a bit okay. lax. <laughs> but, but I do remember having a an Asia an Asia record with a B side on it, and I had exactly that same thought, which was, "Oh come on, this can't be a B side. This is yeah. just this is ridiculous." But then, yeah, a lot of prog bands do that. They just seem to write really good stuff. But it's uh, yeah, but, but that, but that, and the other thing that's really nice about the box set, just to go back to the box set, is mm. that the the book that comes with it. You say you've got the, I mean, this the the book is just beautiful, and it is literally you know spine mm-hmm. to spine of just amazing photography, all the lyrics, all the details, all the people that he worked with on the records, John's thoughts on each record, and there's a thread all throughout throughout the record describing his his solo career. And the the thing that comes through more than anything else in the record is the warmth that everybody felt from working with him. Mm. You know, there's no there's no prima donna sort of stuff with John. Everybody just loved working with him and, and found him a joy to work with, which isn't always true of people in the rock world. There, you know, there are some characters that can be harder to work with than others. <laughs> and John just wasn't one of them. <laughs> well, no, that's we've had uh, several people on the show who've worked with him. Steve Hackett, Amanda Lehman, Jeff and Carl have been on. Jim Cregan uh, has been on. And because mm-hmm. we've never had the opportunity to speak with John, we always ask at the end, okay, thank you for promoting and for coming on the show. Can we ask you something about John? Can you tell us something about him 
as a person because we we know he's worked very well but you know what was he like as an individual and i haven't really heard anyone say anything except that he was warm and he was very funny yeah 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 i i I miss him i miss him a lot and i i sort of miss him more in the same way that i miss chris and i miss alan is that they're such larger than life characters and you sort of you just you can't believe that they're not around that seems you know they because they have such a weight of personality and i mean i think to this day chris i'm going to bump into chris squire at some point because mm. i spent i spent so much time with chris over three or four years that, that they cut they, they can never they can never not be around if that that sounds like a really daft thing to say but but they're so they're so alive through their music and mm. the experiences you have with them you can't imagine that they're not around anymore and i find that hard to think of with john i've sort of you know i still have john in my address book i still have chris in my address book and i still have alan in my address book because yeah. i can't bring myself to think that they're not in my address book anymore so they're they're still there as that may sound a bit odd sorry or maudlin but no, I'm, I'm, no, they're, it, they're it right behind me like... here. I, 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 I tap into them whenever I can, you know. So I understand. Yeah, it, it sounds more like it's, it's, you know, you valued having them in your life, and that it's just kind of a yeah. keeping them in there. Just it's just kind of keeping them close to your heart. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. It just sort of yeah keeps it keeps it alive and, and keeps the memories yeah. strong. And um, you know, I just I didn't I was I was invited to play at the John Wetton Memorial concert, which I couldn't do, which I was really upset about. But I was they, they phoned the management phoned me up and said, We know he'd like you to play. Would you like to come? And I said, I'd love to. I just there was I just couldn't do it that night, unfortunately. But it was nice to think that I was considered close enough to John to that they would want me to do it. So that was that was lovely as well. And what's also been really nice about this John Wetton stuff recently is just how many people have come out and talked about how great he was fans mm. other musicians it's just it's just nice to hear it's nice to hear and um yeah uh, whatever he said <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was just gonna say everyone knows he had this beautiful voice and he never lost it even though he had some health problems no. he, he gained weight he lost weight he always sounded amazing i think he's underrated as a bass player and Carl came on the show and said, he's the only guy I could never move. I could move. I could nudge Greg Lake a little bit if I want to take it up tempo or, or move around. John was the rock of Gibraltar. I never was able to move him into inch. What would you tell us as a musician uh, about what you saw of his bass playing? Oh, he was, he was, ama- I mean, I have amazing admiration for, for John and Chris as well, is that ability to play bass and sing. Mm. And they're not just they're not just root note players. I mean, I'm not sure Chris ever hit a root note in his life, but That's for sure. um, <laughs> but but John, you know, you and particularly with John being a, a, a four piece band as opposed to yes, being a five piece band where Chris was backing vocals and 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 bass playing, with John taking the bass all the time and singing, it was remarkable. On that Asia tour, yes, an Asia tour, I hand on heart must have sat and watched that show three quarters of the tour. I, every night I'd almost, I'd go and sit and watch, watch the tour just to go and watch their, their show. Sometimes I couldn't catch all of it because I had to get ready to go and do my bit. But every night I would go out there and watch a, a bit of it and genuinely enjoy it. And, you know, s- s- watch, watch with awe as, as John would just belt through these songs and not miss a beat. He just never missed a note. And uh, same with Chris, you know, I, Chris had the most remarkable memory as well to, to work with. He was just, he was, he was a nightmare at times because he just remember things that, you, you know, sometimes you try and get away with something. He, he, you'd never get anything past Chris. He'd remember every single thing. He came up to me once when we were rehearsing Siberian Katru and he said, um, oh, you're missing out a string part. 
I said, don't think I am, Chris. And he said, yeah, you are. About, and he pointed it out to me. He said, it's this point here, there's a string part. And I listened to the record and I said, there isn't, Chris. He said, there is. I said, there isn't. And I got Benoit, who was a singer in Yes at the time, to come. I said, Benoit, can you hear anything here? And he, Benoit said, there's no string part there, Chris. And he said, <laughs> well, we put one down in the studio, so we can't have made it to the mix, but could you put it in for tomorrow night? I said, but I don't know what it is, Chris. I can't hear it. And he sort of sang it to me. And he sort of sang it and he said, yeah, it was like that sort of thing, but a bit more minor. Can you sort that out and put it in for tomorrow night? And it's like goodness yeah all right <laughs> i was already doing two other things at the same time with the other hands it was like a that old spinal tap line can you do that yeah i've got two hands got two you hands, know yeah. it's that <laughs> i've got two hands it was one of those nights uh excuse me but can you play a, a bass line uh like nigel used to on big bottom can you double that you remember, recall the line it's in fifths oh yeah. yeah yeah i've got two hands here oh, I can do it. so that's good we can play that one but you know, that's the sort of thing I always sort of think bass players like Chris and John were amazing. They had this ability to just do the two things separately. And they weren't, their vocals weren't playing off the bass parts as well. It's not mm. like they were, like I said, root players or roots and fifths. They weren't moving around and very melodic. Absolutely. So it was, it was, he was a remarkable musician. And uh, one of the things in the, in the book is you read about how he was writing songs. And you know, he would always say that piano was his main instrument for writing. So he'd always write most of his stuff on piano and 10% were on guitars. And then when you sort of think, well, then when he goes to the band and just plays the bass and sings, he's not even like writing the songs on a bass. He's, you know, he's actually then crafting a separate bass part. Right. And then playing it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just amazing, really. And I think that's sometimes where people, forget just how good a musician he was you know because exactly. he, he was a great musician as well because you everyone just go oh, john went brilliant singer but he was a great musician as well yeah. you know it's remarkable a bit like what? chris when you go what an amazing bass player it's like he's an amazing singer chris is, is. you know absolutely yeah now another thing in the book from rick's section that i had no knowledge of was the whole Bruford Wakeman and Wetton thing that was happening in the 70s when all of us were pretty small, I guess. I had no knowledge of that, and I guess the press got wind of it, and then it blew apart because everyone was signed to different record companies, and back then, they were very protective of it. You couldn't just go do something for fun. You know, it, yeah. Everybody kind of owned your musicianship, I guess, at that point. Has Rick ever talked to you ever about that experience, or have you ever heard any of that material? No, I, I will ask him actually. I'm seeing him in a in a couple of weeks. I'll I'll do that. I tend not to talk about music with dad too much. It's it's a it's a really weird thing because we have a different a, a different sort of view on it really, because he he sort of remembers it all from growing up with all these people and all these things were just not it's a bit like in my family. It, it's it, there's an element where I you know, my mum and dad divorced when I was about five or six, but my mum obviously grew up with dad around the time of the Straubs and when he was just a session player and okay. before he got to yes. So she grew up with him when he was went through all the, the major changes. And, you know, my, my brother plays piano, my sister plays piano and writes, and I've done lots of writing and playing over the years as well. And there's nothing in a nicest way with our family. There's nothing special about saying, oh, I've done an album. Somebody gets impressed if you turn around and say, I fixed a leaky tap. Someone's like, well, Really? How did you do that? You know, that, that, that's a, it's a bit like that in our family. So when it comes to talking to dad, we don't tend to talk about music because there's there's nothing unusual about it. There's not that father son sort of thing. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me about it. You know, it's because it's already, already been done. So I don't talk to him for a couple of weeks. Obviously, these people were people he grew up with. He grew up with them in their 20s and 30s. And they all went through their growing up years. And I turned up as the, the kid that they all remember seeing at the age of two or three. 
Sure. And then suddenly there I turn up in the band in my 30s and I'm up on stage and Chris Squire used to say to me, so it was bizarre. He said, some nights we'd look across with the lights, you know, on the top of you in the middle of close to the edge or something. And he said, and I'm suddenly transported back 30 years. He said, and it was like watching dad. Wow. And he said, you're 50% just like your dad. And he said, and there's another 50% of you that is absolutely nothing like your dad. <laughs> and it was like... And it was quite, quite nice. And it was, um, so we sort of all had a different relationship. I sort of got to know them as friends and people rather than my dad's friends in, in an odd sort of way, which I preferred actually, because I liked that. We, we developed our own relationships Yes. rather than just being constantly, oh, that's, that's Rick's son that's playing the keyboard. You know, it was just, that's Oliver, you know, uh, filling in for Rick. And it was just nice. It was a nice, nice thing. And they all treated me really, really well. And I, I loved all that. So with dad, we never really sit and talk about these people. We only ever really talk about them, maybe when one of them has passed away, when we both get asked to do something and we just sort of talk to each other about them. Like when, when Chris died, dad told me some stories about Chris, which I didn't know and things like that. And that, that that's when it's sort of the only time we'll really talk about music. Other than that, we talk about comedy shows and stupid things. <laughs> that have happened <laughs> well he's he's preparing for his annual winter concert like holiday special wouldn't he be about this time he does yeah I, i'm not sure i don't think he's doing a tour this year i no, think he okay. did the tour last year he's doing a few shows a couple of shows this year gotcha but yeah every year he ends up down in the town that i live in at the, the, the town hall so me and the kids go down there and uh, say hello for a little bit and then i have to get them back for bed but he um it's always it's always nice to go and see him but he's, he's coming here for a in a couple of weeks he lives on the other side of, of the country which probably out in america isn't that far but over here it's long windy roads and oh, it's a yes. bit of a pain to get anywhere so he's um so he's going to come here for a while which is quite nice we did a concert at the beginning of the year as well we did a charity concert for a couple of schools which was really nice and we got to spend quite a bit of time together together then but again yeah, we didn't talk about actually the only time only thing we talked about this time was grand pianos we just had a conversation about pianos but yeah we don't really tend to talk about music in any any detail at all it's odd isn't it You'd think we would. You'd think we just talk about it all the time. Yeah. Although I do remember one time, actually, I was on, I lived with him on the Isle of Man for a short period of time and I was flying on an aeroplane to go and see my mum and he gave me a cassette and he said, you must listen to this. If you do not, nothing else in your life, he said, you must listen to this cassette. And he said, um, and he said, it's one of my favourite records and you must listen to it and you must enjoy it. <laughs> and I put it on, it on my, my Walkman on the aeroplane and it was um, in the court of the Crimson King. Oh, wow. And so he introduced me to that that record when I was about 15, 16, and I loved it. I thought it was the most amazing record I'd ever heard. I thought it was just marvellous, marvellous stuff. And uh, so that's the only time I can really remember him talking to me about music, which was to introduce me to that record. I walk the road horizons, the tournament's begun. The purple piper plays his tune, the choir softly sings. Lullabies in ancient time For the court of the Crimson King ah, ah. Well, you talk about playing live. The 
Prague and the Yes World is Agog about uh, Winter's End Festival because apparently you'll be playing some music that no one's heard live before. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the From a Page record and the the, the the new record, which obviously hasn't been played live, but From a Page was the record of um, songs that I worked on with Chris, Stephen, Allen, and Benoit before Trevor Horn came on board. Actually, they were Chris and I, and and Chris, I, and um, Steve were working on it in England together a lot. And then we all went over to a house in Phoenix. We rented a house over there, a five bedroom house, and we all had a room. And we all used to meet in the lounge and sit and write and perform and record all these these songs and so we had quite a lot of them pretty far demoed up and then trevor horn came on board and wanted to do the old we can fly track which was a a track i think they'd just done once at madison square gardens back in 1980 on a tour and then they'd used it as a buggles record but then he wanted to do it with yes and um So that was, it was okay. And then suddenly that then became two tracks and then it suddenly became three tracks. And suddenly my, I, my music wasn't required anymore because Jeff had suddenly come on board and they're writing all this music and, and it sort of twisted more into a Trevor Horn and Jeff project than the yes project that we'd been working on together. So when I left the band, I ended up being given all the tapes or discs as they were. Sure. And, um, and, and, and that was it. And they sat on my shelf for, for years. And then, I think I just one day I just I opened up a Pro Tools session I think and it was it was a gift of love track and I just sort of played it through because we recorded it we did it the, the 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 way that Yes used to record which is we rehearsed the whole track together a lot of times and then we recorded a backing track together so we didn't play to a click we played to Alan so we recorded Alan's parts and all played to Alan and then had Alan separated out so we could then play our parts again but I had just the the rough takes from all of us doing the original stuff and then everybody's overdubs and and then I just sort of thought I'm gonna mix this up and try and finish this song yeah. just for myself and just have a a private yes record that no one ever knows anything about <laughs> and we had about three or four of these and i sort of over time just sort of tinkered with the others as well and i think i did a tweet one day that just said oh i've uh been listening to a, a never heard yes song which which we all did on on tour uh, on a writing session and the management wrote to me and said what is this and i sort of had a chat with them and said this is what it was it was the songs that never made it onto fly from here and they said well we'd like to put those out and they originally wanted to re-release live from leon and put them on as bonus tracks and i said i don't think they're bonus tracks really i think they're a bit they're not just demos these are pretty together tracks and so they said well come down and see steve and i hadn't seen steve since i'd left the band oh and they invited me down to his, his farmhouse and so i thought all right so i turned up at his house and we hadn't seen each other since since i'd left and um we shook hands and we came in. It was like old times. We just sat down together and we put the record on and, and Steve sat down there with a piece of paper and a pen and played the first track. And he just started tapping his foot. And then when Benoit started singing, he looked at me and went, Benoit sounds good. Hmm. And then it just got through to the end and he, he listened to all the tracks and he said, we've got to do something with these. These are so much more advanced than I remember. Indeed. And so then I was given the, the, the go ahead to finish them off and, um, put them together and we put them out as a, as a record late 2009. I think we put it out in like November, 2009 and through burning shed, which was like a mail order company only. And it even through the mail order company as a sort of almost a yes, self-release record, 
it got into the charts. It sold sold so quickly that it, it jumped into the charts for a week. And it was like, blimey, there's really something here. And it's still still selling copies now. And people still write to me pr pretty much once a week. I get an emails from people just saying how much they like the record. And so I got asked to do this festival and they said, what can you do that's a bit different? And I said, well, we could play from a page. Um, and they were like, well, could you do that? And I said, well, my, I've got a female singer, a girl called Haley, who sings beautifully and she could sing all the parts. And I've got Oliver Day, who was the Yes, uh, in a Yes tribute band as a as an acoustic player. So he's coming along to do all the guitar parts. He's bringing his lap steel along. So, wow. yeah, we're going to give it a good old, a good a good bash. <laughs> so it should be good. It should be yeah. good fun. It's got a lot to learn. It's a it's not the easiest pieces of music in the in the world to learn for a one off show, but it'll be good fun to play them. It will be it will be a laugh. The gift of love at ten minutes is, and there's some ups and downs through that. Yeah, you're going to have to do a few rehearsals. But you're right. This is, these aren't bonus tracks, and if you include the edit from "Do the Moment," you're talking about more than half an hour of music. You don't just slap those on the end of an out live album. It's its own thing. So no. I know the Yes fans were really excited when this came out. What was it 2019 or whenever it was? Yeah. 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 And there's, um, I mean, I've still got some of the original demo. At some point, I'll get all the other stuff together as well. There was the, the demos of the tracks that we did. There's an acoustic version of words on a page. There's a few other bits and pieces. There's, you know, because we, we demoed the man you want, you know, see and me and hour of need and into the storm with all, you know, because I wrote half of into the storm. So there's a version of that with all my keyboards on as well. There's all this other stuff that's just, just needs time spent on it so maybe one day i'll get around to those as well but they were the they were the three that never 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 were released and so they were the ones that i wanted to spend the time on i think they're very yesy i think the thing about that record that was that really worked was i think you could tell that it was a band that was enjoying each other's company and they were enjoying working with each other which hasn't always been true in yes's history there's often been a lot of conflict and um that's right disagreements but with with the version of yes that i was with obviously because dad wasn't doing it and john wasn't doing it they didn't have a a driving force as it were you know john was always a driving force of actually pulling the band forwards of what he wanted to do and suddenly chris Stephen allen who maybe in the past would have had disagreements suddenly found themselves having to steer the ship and so they had to work together maybe more than they'd ever done before from a business sense and actually making it work because without John, they couldn't afford to get into silly squabbles and arguments. They had to make it work for, right. for a band. And Benoit came on board and sang beautifully. And I came on board and was just pleased to be there and felt that I had something that I could bring to the table, which was going, I took all the songs back to their original arrangements and all the original parts rather than some of the um, adaptions, adapt adaptations that had happened over the years. And we all got on. It was, you know, the, the tour manager came to me and he said, he said, it's really weird. I said, what, what do you mean? It's really weird. He said, well, the other night he said, I saw you in the, in the restaurant. I said, yeah. And he said, you were sitting down with Chris and Scotty and Benoit. He said, and the next night, you know, you and Benoit with with Alan, and the next night there was Chris and Alan together with with Benoit, and then the other night there was you and Benoit sitting with Steve. He said, "I've never known a tour like it. Every other tour I've been on with the band, it's been five separate tables, <laughs> and they all sit at separate tables, not talking to each other." And he said, "It's it's really nice to see everybody just pulling in the same direction, and that is the the thing that I think comes across on the record that there is a real feel of five people working to create something that was." that that was real and i think that's why it sounds like yes it 
it doesn't sound like someone's solo song, which someone guests on it, because there really was the collaboration of everybody working their parts and trying to find the best way of doing things. And and I think that's the bit that I, I'm proud of most with that record is the fact that it, it it does have that real yes quality about it, which I, I think is is important and sometimes hasn't been on every record. amazing work there and you've been very generous with your time here late on a thursday evening in the uk brilliant thank you so much is there anything else that that you would like to plug whether it's your website or anything that that's coming up or you know box sets that have been out for a while anything you'd like our listeners to know about uh, yeah i mean there was the if uh, steve howe fans there was the box set i did called collaborations which came out last year which has got the albums that i did with gordon giltrap and steve howe which is a, a lovely box set um, and next year's the new album which is called anam cara which is a celtic rock record which i'm very interested to see what people think because everybody keeps saying to me why don't you just do an all-out keyboard player record and just do 40 minutes of soloing and it's like yeah. Now there's too many other musicians to work with first. <laughs> I want Good to work you. with lots of other people. Yeah. So um, I will do one at some point, probably before I die, but <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not top of my list at the moment. But this next album is uh, got some wonderful musicians on it. I've got a great violinist, Robert McClung, drummer, Scott Hyam, was, who was in Pendragon for many years. I mentioned uh, Hayley Griffiths, who is a great rock singer, also sings soprano. So it's like, Wow, you know the, the the best stuff you can have is Oliver Day I mentioned already. I've got Troy Dinockley from the the rock band Nightwish as well playing Ilian pipes and whistles. So it's wow. uh it's it's not the record that I think people were expecting me to do next. But um I don't think I've done one record that sounds like the previous one yet. I think that's part of the fun of being a musician, isn't it? You just you you write. My son always used to say to me, "Say why have you written that?" And I said, "Because no one else has. I write stuff that I want to hear, and so that's sort of what drives me." <laughs> rather than doing the same thing over and over again Good which might you. be to my detriment maybe i shouldn't do maybe i should just do the same thing so people get used to what i do <laughs> that's called that being no an fun, artist though. sir yes you're 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 being an, a true artist yes good for you well look you are welcome <laughs> on the show anytime if you want to come back and when the new album comes out you're welcome to those yeah i'll come on for the new album but i'd love to do that as well yeah because it's a absolutely no doubt about it yeah and like i said uh, you're you're welcome back anytime so thank you can't can't thank you enough oh no it's been a pleasure it's been really good fun but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll chat again well as soon as the record's out i'll get in touch again and we can sort it then Excellent. sounds great thank you so Brilliant. much that was a pleasure nice to see you all nice the best to see you thanks bye hi this is oliver waitman and you're listening to the ugly american werewolf in london holy mackerel jackson well, so much for half an hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> I haven't talked to my father that much all this year. Are you kidding me? Well, that was so much fun. Is like, kind of at the half an hour mark, I'm like, I don't really want to go into anything new because you kind of have to go. And right. It didn't seem like that. So, okay. What a cool guy. You know what? We're the same age. So we kind right. of have come into music in the same eras. Obviously, his exposure might have been a little bit different being in the UK and being that his father is this extraordinary musician. But 
still in our generation, we get it. We, we knew it when it was albums, and then it became cassettes, and then it became CDs. And then we're kind of, we'd like what we like. What a guy. Yeah, just a cool, just, just a guy. You can tell he's not only a professional musician, but a fan, too. Yeah, yeah. No and that story with John Wetton going to him and saying, hey, you know, you kind of got screwed on this deal. Are you okay? That's that was pretty big too. That that's a class act right yeah. there. No doubt about it. You wanted the epitome of, of of a class act. I mean, he's the generation older. He is peers and buddies with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Jeff is his writing partner through all the icon and all the Asia stuff. He's written with Jeff more than anyone else. So it would be very easy to say, Hey, sorry, kid. But my man's yeah. taking mm-hmm. it back. Yeah. You know. But no, I think it's cool that he wanted to get to know Oliver, especially after having worked with Rick in the 70s. I had no idea that he and Bill and Rick had gotten together. We're maybe going to try to work something out. And then the mm-hmm. press kind of blew it up. And then the record company said, nope. Uh, well, so what, that's a shame. Yeah. What I, what I liked about that story was they were like, you know, we can't do this because of the record companies, but let's do it anyway. Not tell anybody yeah. we're here now and forget <laughs> it. We'll just put it on tape and see what happens. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our chat with Oliver Wakeman. I hope it came through that we all really did have a good time getting to know each other a little bit and hearing stories about John Wetton. It's pretty cool that John, as an elder statesman in rock, took Oliver under his wing and and made friends with him and and, and showed him the way and kind of helped guide him on his career. And if you ever want to know about the character of John Wetton, that story about them being in Mexico when Asia's still opening for Yes, but Jeff Downs is about to take over for Oliver in Yes. They just kind of decided that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back to the drama era band and Oliver was going to lose his spot. And despite the fact that John and Jeff have been writing partners for decades, he wanted to make sure that Oliver was doing okay. That's a class act. That's a top man. And that was John Wetton. I'm so sorry we never had the chance to meet him. But I'm so happy that we've had the chance to talk to Oliver here on the show and get to know a little bit more about the man and a little bit more about this great box set. It's an extraordinary life. It's out November 24th. You can get it most anywhere. Beautiful 64-page booklet, eight CDs with lots of bonus tracks and previously unreleased live and studio stuff that John wrote and made with a lot of people over the course of his storied career over 40 years in music. Of course, Jax and I are big Asia fans, and we were proud to talk to Carl Palmer and Jeff Downs on episodes 79 and 80, met Lisa Wetton at the Yes Show at Royal Albert Hall in 2022. We'll get Steve Howe on the show here one of these days. Talk to Chris Slade, who was in the band briefly, never with John, but so glad that we got to talk to Oliver Wakeman about this, and hopefully we'll have Oliver back. Great guy, funny guy, very big talent in his own right. Maybe we talk a little bit more about his music in the future. Of course, we're going to Winter's End Festival in April. You'll be able to see him play music from a page, the Yes album that he helped write and contribute to that came out in 2019. And I know a lot of people are really excited about that. So we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the concerts, the albums, the books, the DVDs, the box sets, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about. Follow us on X. It's at Ugly underscore Werewolf and at ActionJack72. 
We're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Threads. We're on YouTube. And we're hoping that you're following us there. We're also hoping that you're downloading and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you go to a certain spot, guys, hey, if you're thinking about it, please give us a five-star review. It's huge for us. It helps us grow the show and helps us find more rock and roll fans like you from around the world that we can bond with. Thank you, as always, to Pantheon Pods. And thank you to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Guys, most of you are going to hear this for the first time on Black Friday it's time to do your holiday shopping. Go to rarevinyl.com. Use the code UGLY. You can save yourself 10%. They ship all over the world. In the UK, you might have a little bit more time to get that shipped to you, but in other spots, you want to go ahead and get that done. Get that to you before the year ends. Rarevinyl.com. Use code UGLY. Save yourself 10% off your holiday treasures. Next week, we're back to reviewing another classic album, having another big anniversary, so you'll have to tune in for that. But until next time, to all of you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.